Hey guys, and welcome back to Front Row with Jackie Rowe, and I'm your host. Listen, I've been trying to work with this whole new, you know, uh, I guess invite friends to um, Anchor, and so we can do it without having a real microphone. Hasn't been working out great. So the first part of my interview that I'm going to have um, you listen to, it's my guest, Joseph Grant. He's a dear friend of mine. We go back, way back, and he is now debuting his uh, third movie, Live and Die and Best Die. But the first part of the interview is a little bit muffled because like I said I'm still working with Anchor trying to figure this out but it wasn't that great and I apologize for not giving you the best clarity on some of my podcasts so I'm still learning I'm still trying to figure it out but the second episode you're going to definitely love so sit back and listen to my my 61st uh, episode with Mr. Joseph Grant thank you Jackie. Hello, hello, welcome, hey. Joe. You're um, welcome to Front Row with Jackie Rowe. You're on. You have to be hello. very quiet in the background. And um, welcome. Hey, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Joe, how are you doing on this Sunday? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Um, awesome. yeah, you, you caught me working on the new project. Uh, oh, wow. 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 So before we even embark on that, um, please introduce yourself to my audience. Um, uh, my name is Joseph C. Grant Jr. and I am an artist. And an artist of fairies of what? Oh man, it's, 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 it'll be easier for me to say what I don't do than what it is. No, I would do. like for you to enlighten my audience and let them know what you do do. Okay. <laughs> I'm a, um, I'm a visual artist. I paint, I draw, I, uh, I write. So I'm an author. Um, I write, uh, books. I write screenplays. Um, I'm also a director. Um, I used to be a dancer. Uh, You know, these legs don't do the old football injuries. These legs don't move the way they used to. But, um, yeah, that's, um, that's basically it that I can remember now. I can't play an instrument, that I know for sure. But I also okay. compose music, but I can't play an instrument. Okay. Well, that's very impressive. I mean, um, guys, I know Joe for a very long time. We have worked on a couple projects together. Um, one of them, I think our first project we worked on together was, um, I think it was honoring a fashion on um, black. What is it? Was it a? Uh, what is it? No, 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 oh, no. We way back before. Like this is almost going back about 15, 20 years. Oh, okay. Well, enlighten me. Go ahead. Tell yeah, me. because we um, we met. I forget who introduced us, but when you had uh, Mike's office downtown Brooklyn. Right, 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 right. right. Exactly. And, okay. We, and I had and I had my magazine. And, right! Uh, oh my right. God, I totally forgot about the magazine. Yes, with Mark, yes. And then Mark Pitts with uh, Mark Pitts came up there. We did a shoot with Mark. Um, right also, in my studio. Yep. Right and Kate Capri was Mark Pitts and his son. Kate Capri and his son. Dame Dashwood and his son was supposed to come. I mean, Kate Capri and his daughter. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and that's when I first. That's when I first met you. That was about yeah, about twenty years ago. 
Damn, how did I forget that? My God, you know, we both do so much, Joe. It's yeah. crazy, but yeah. how did I forget that magazine? Yeah. Yes, that yeah. is actually the first time. And um, the other, what we did recently was um, April is Black Fashion. We, we did some of the stuff back then, yeah. but I know what recently to bring people concurrent is that Joe had this wonderful idea and I thought it was just so awesome. You know, April came in and Joe was like, you know, Jackie, I want to do something in April, you know, with fashion, you know what I mean? Because when you see him, he's a very distinguished man who lived to all of that. And so fashion is something that he always liked it to do. And I liked it, the name April is Black Fashion Month. So we did an event, some seminars, and I said, wow, the perfect person I think that we should honor was April Walker, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because she was out of the scene for a while. So I said, that would be great. So we did that and we had little seminars and we had other celebrities and I think other speakers. Uh, my homeboy, I forgot his name. He was very big. He would kill me. Louis very who? Lewis Johnson? Well, Lewis, yes, absolutely. Lewis is an icon. Oh my God. Call him um, Haberdashery. Yeah, and Danny, and Danny too. Remember, we had Danny. He's right, oh my yes. God. He's, we had some really great influencers for that fashion um, event. It was really nice. Um, I'm going to try to keep it up. You know, Joe always said, Jackie, take it and run with it. So I'd be so busy. <laughs> I want to bring you guys um, a little bit full force to 2020. And I just want to congratulate you again. Well, the reason why Joe is on the podcast is because, yes, he has jumped and did a lot of leaps. And he has actually did steps up levels to his, um, to his um, success. He just completed his, um, I don't know, second or third movie. I think it is this one. What was this, your third? I don't even remember. Or I think I want to say it's my third. It could be the fourth. Yeah. I, but okay. I'll, I'll be safe and say the third. Okay. I think it's his third movie. So I'll be safe to say that too. And um, it was awesome. And he also did something that was never done before. He also came up with the idea, of course, everybody through the COVID, you know what I'm saying? He had to find a way to get his movie out. So he's always thinking of, you know, plans or ways to do things. So he came up with this idea. He said, Jackie, I'm going to do a drive. And I was like, oh, shit. That's hot. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he did it. And he really, really put this together, really and honestly, by himself. Because I mean, like, you know, everybody's been so busy, but he was resilient in making this happen. So he went to the big theater, the blow-up movie theater thing outside. He he had very good turnouts from, from day one. It was from October 2nd and 3rd. Or, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Both days were fantastic, and I think we need to do it again. But the movie, guys, the movie is called To To Live and Die in Best Style, and it was good. So, <laughs> it was really good. I had a council member lady in the car with an, and she was like, she was all psyched. She was like, oh, she was all into everything. And I was like, I was like, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. I can't miss this part, you know. You know, besides me being a producer to V2 as well, I was very honored to be a part of this project because it was so real. Like, that's what I want to get into. So, Joe, uh -huh. take us in your mind. Take us back. We're not, I, I know you're a great painter. Oh, my God. If you guys see some of his artwork, it's to die for. I mean, like, he's one of Brooklyn's hitters. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's my new production coming in a plug. A plug, plug. <laughs> so Brooklyn Hidden Figures coming at you. Um, but he's really one of those 
Oakland hidden figures, okay? You have to see his art. When I saw this a couple years ago, four years ago, I said, what the fuck, what, what? Joe, he said, yeah, I paint, like, so modest. I'm like, you paint? Like, this man do so much stuff. He's also um, aide to uh, Robert Cogney, you know what I mean? Let them know you mm -hmm. also work with him and you deal with the whole art part the, I mean the culture of the artists in their style so well I'm actually, the, I'm, I'm actually the first ever ambassador of arts and culture in the city uh, council for uh, the state of New York mm -hmm. so yeah for, for Councilmember Carnegie but yeah so mm -hmm. I pretty much if anyone has an arts and cultural arts and cultural liaison um, it, it's because of the work that I've done that they've kind of uh, piggybacked off of what I've done and created that for themselves. There you go. And so, Joe, now we were talking about your uh, movie, but before I even get into that, you know what I'm saying, could you let us know where are you from originally? Originally, I was born on the island of Trinidad in Tunapuna, uh, Trinidad, and I came to America. My parents came to America when I was one. So when we came to America, we settled, they settled, not we, I had nothing to do with it. I just followed them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they settled in Bedford-Stuyvesant and that's where I've been all my life. So even though I was born in Trinidad, I'm like kind of like dual citizenship. I was born in Trinidad, but I have Bedford-Stuyvesant residency from day one. So I'm like a, um, a native Bedford-Stuyvesant person mm -hmm. that was born on the island of Trinidad. That's what's up. That's what's up, you know. Um, so, brought up in best style, what was some of the stuff that you saw early doing that, you know, those years that fascinated you? Because now we're going to bring them up to speed for the movie. What I saw what was really interesting in, in Bethany Stuyvesant was that um, we had like a really dope ecosystem of everything, right? So, you had your stick-up kids, you had your, um, your your drug dealers, you had your gamblers, you had your pimps, you had everybody in the community. You had your dope fiends, you had your working class people, and everybody stayed in their lane. So, mm -hmm. um, and the number one thing was that everybody kept their vices away from the kids. Mm -hmm. So growing up, um, I knew all these different types of people, but they never overlapped and they never pushed their um, their agenda on me. It was always about, hey, if you knew the dope fiends, they'd tell you, hey, man, don't do what I'm doing. Go to school. If you knew the drug dealers, they'd be like, yo, get out of here. Don't be hanging around here. You know what I mean? So um, Those good instillments, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it was a really interesting ecosystem because you needed all of those people to commit to... Um, to make the community what it was, but everyone stayed in their lane and those worlds never crossed over. And when they did, they crossed over in a place where it was neutral. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If, if that makes any sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's what, and that was my, my, that was like my, my teaching. That's what I saw a lot of growing up. Just, um, yeah, just, I just saw a lot of that growing up. Well, I'm quite sure Biggie would, 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 Biggie would be definitely, Biggie would definitely say that. Right. <laughs> hey. 
trade on October 2nd with this awesome movie again and third with Live or Die in Best-Stuy. Tell them I guess because of what you saw growing up in Best-Stuy, I wanted to say you know, how did you come up with the name? But it makes perfect sense how you came up with the name because you lived in Best-Stuy, you know and the stories that you put out there were phenomenal but when did that hit you to think to do that, Jill? So I wrote the book it's actually a book. I have a book. I, mean, I wish I could just a book too. I have the book first. Yes. Okay. So mm-hmm. it, there's a book and the book was um, like 15 years ago. And I wrote the book. I was doing so much that I got myself sick and I was in the hospital. Oh. Um, and uh, in my recovery, I, I couldn't run around anymore. That's why I stopped doing the magazine. I was just too, I was burning myself out. I was stressing myself. And then um, I just started writing. And, you know, I write, so it was therapeutic for me to, just to tell stories. Like, you know, where did those come from? Because, like, you know, people, I'm not going to get the movie. This is so But the different series, like, I was, like, everybody knows me. So if I co-sign for something, it's good. It's definitely good. And I'm, I'm, and I'm surprised book. because I know Jackie would tell me straight off the bat, Joe, that I don't know what you did with that. I just stop. Yeah. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> if, yeah, if yeah, you know like me. I'm quick to call. Like, yeah, Joe. Hey, I was almost but, afraid to invite her to come out to see it because I just didn't know. <laughs> I was like, I can't have Jackie blow just burst my bubble right now. I can't have her do that. Yo, <laughs> and, and, not, was... and, and not, and I don't mean it badly. I mean that's a great thing because it pushes people to do better. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I know you don't do it with malicious intent. It's just being truthful because you want to see me win. Right. Yeah, you know me. But I was very, very impressed. It was really good. The the actors were good. It was just good storyboards, you know what I mean? Good timeline. It was just really good. I was really impressed. And it's so, you know, in a time are forgetting about the nostalgic eras, you know what I'm saying? And those nostalgic eras are a big part of what's going on still in our lives. And to cover that, you know what I mean? And, you know, to show the diversity with, you know, you kept cutting it up with different scenes. And it's like people, you didn't make it straight so people could watch it. You cut it up, you have to figure it out. So I'm there like Einstein, you know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> okay, so this is that, and that that's that's this, cause you know, he, he, he when I say it, I want to tell it, he cuts it up in a way, but it keeps you intrigued. If you're a, a TV buff such as myself, and I trust me, as soon as I watch one minute into a movie, I can tell you the next scene, what he's going to do, because there's four type of movies. There's drama, um, comedy, um, romantic, and um, action, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the first four, four movies, no matter how you cut them up. So I've been watching Black and White since I was like probably six years old. Like when I was watching, oh, Mr. McGillicar cartoons, Bugs Bunny, yeah. something caught my attention 
on those channels, Humphrey Bogart, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, Lauren Bacole, like I, I, I could literally, I could literally name every actor, John Wayne, you know what I'm saying? I knew every actor there was and on every facet, the dancers, Fred Astaire, Ginger mm. Roger. Like I know all of these people, like I was such a TV buff. So me being so young, and even though I was a street child running the streets and stuff, TV was my comfort. Okay. TV was my first love, television, and then fashion became my second love. Television did something to me back in this early 70s, late 70s to the 80s. I just was so in love with television. It just blew my mind what some of the shows was about and the actors. Like, I love those old movies. Like I said, that Ted Turner brought up, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, right, right, right. I know a good movie because I watch them. I don't care how much 70s and 80s for Pacific reason because those same movies are all duplicated over and over and over. A lot of people don't catch Joe, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're the same movies, but they duplicate. It just makes them over. Every year, every decade, they make them over and over. Centuries, they make them the same movies, the same, same movie. So when I watch a movie, when I used to watch movies with my sons, uh, I'd be like, oh, I saw that movie before. They said, Modest just came out. I said, no, I saw the original. Right, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, right. I know the original movie, what they made this from, okay? They're like, Mom, what you talking about? I said, yeah, there's an original movie. I tell them, when I watch I can tell them every episode. So bringing me up to speed, like, every movie I've ever watched on, you know, in a movie theater, I always knew what the next scene was going to be. And that always turned me off. I'm like, I'm never in the like what's gonna happen next you know what i'm saying right this i got from you that's how i can tell you and i can keep saying it was very very good now i don't know maybe somebody said oh jackie why didn't you be a designer oh jackie this, oh, people are gonna say why didn't you become a director or a producer listen you just been you just be in places where you just get to know so much knowledge about certain things you don't know you're gonna do anything about it but you just got the knowledge right right so, i saw when i was watching this movie i was like Oh my God, this shit was really fucking good. <laughs> it's really good because I couldn't figure out the next scenes. You know what I'm saying? I knew a little of what I thought to anticipate on the first part when it came in, when he gave them, when he told them what he did to his brother without having to tell people. And then he gave him the ultimatum, like let's squash the beef. And I'm looking at the brother like, nigga, I, I know you ain't gonna take this money. You know what I'm saying? Over blood. But it turned out right because you would think uh, through the movie that's what it was going to gear up to. But I knew, I knew that he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave a little bit to it. But it was really good, Joe. And so congratulations on that. So what's next for Joe Grant? Um, right now. So I'm actually, I was a producer on another project called A Brother's Whisper. That was so awesome too. That's my other dude, Fish Grease. We all no, came no, no, up. no, not the stuff. The oh, not stuff the stuff. Was, oh, that that was yeah. I I directed the stuff. That okay. was before I did that before To Live and Die, and then after To Live and Die, I worked on another project with Jacinto, Jacinto Riddick, who played the cop that everybody seems to love in this project. Oh yeah, my God, my girlfriend was crazy over him. I was like, God damn, calm down. No, no, not not the father. The, the oh. light skinned bald head guy. 
the guy who played the cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cop that. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. we did a. But Lorenzo a too. That that was a nice. That that man right there. My girl was like, "Where he at? <laughs> is he here? <laughs> <laughs> is he in the? Is he in the driving anywhere? Let me get out the car." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But you really had great guys. And, and shout out to Melissa. I know her. Yeah. Dynamic caster, casting coach. Um, we we all come back from way back then, and, and Melissa's been doing her stuff for years. So she did a really great job. But go ahead, continue. Yeah. So I just um did a project with him called The Brothers Whisper that should be coming out soon. And I just awesome. finished another project with Fetty, E from Fetty Benton. Um, I directed that one call, and I um I did a a co-writing with him on that project, and that one is called um Of the Essence. And um, it's going to be a really interesting. It's actually a love story. Um, it's going to be really interesting. It's a really dope love story. And currently, I'm working on uh, Brooklyn Bloody Mess, which is a vampire story about some teenage vampires that live in. That's Brooklyn. my boy movie. What's his name? Um, I know you're talking about. I saw that. No, no, no. This is this is my project. Like I, I actually. Did oh this. no! You you sent me that years ago. Yeah, I did this about five years ago with um. With uh, yes, what's his name? Okay, okay. With Siddiqui, S- S- Siddiqui Fafano was playing the lead character, and unfortunately, Siddiqui died of sickle cell, oh, and we had to put the project on hold. And I, yeah, I remember. That's what it was. Okay, yeah. Jason, you started sending me. Joe, what the fuck is wrong with you? What the? Fuck is this? He's right. killing them, vampire killing. I'm like, what? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so I, I I said I wouldn't shoot it again because out of, you know, I just didn't want to replace Siddiqui. And oh. I thought it would be disrespectful to do it. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't think Siddiqui would not want the project to happen. So I decided that um, we would revamp it and, mm-hmm. and shoot the project all over again because we never got a chance to finish it. We only did one episode and we're going to reshoot episode one and... um redo the entire project so that's what we're working on now and that should be out that should be that will be out october 31st halloween of 2021 oh i to see that one that's gonna be awesome yeah it's a it's gonna be a really interesting um story and the script was written a long time ago so it's kind of if you're looking at lovecraft country Mm -hmm. it's sort of like lovecraft country but I wrote the script, as you know, Jack, this, this is about five years old. This, this script is like, I wrote this like five years ago. So I'm not, I just want people to know that when they see it, it's not I'm piggybacking off of Lovecraft Country. The script is an old script that was written a long time ago, way before Lovecraft Country came out. Well, great minds think alike. And so, yeah. hey, you know, no one, no, a lot of people try to emulate certain things, but, you know, we are all individually originals and no one can do what we do. You know what I'm saying? So once you do something, you put your notch on it, that is what it is. Right. So saying all that to say, what did you want uh, people to walk away with when they saw this liver dying best time? Well, there's a couple of things I wanted people to um, understand. One, thank you. You sound very clearly. Whatever you're doing now, you're talking into your phone. That's very. Please stay like that. Okay. So the the number one thing I wanted people to understand was um, I wanted to make black men great again, and okay. I wanted I, I wanted people to see black men in all of their splendor, even if they're doing something wrong. There's still a level of pride and um un- and dignity and being a black man. Mm. Uh, So it was important for me to make sure that all the characters looked a certain way. They had to present very regal. So um, that's what that was. Um, Also, 
even in their vocabulary, I needed them to speak a certain way, to be, um, I needed the men to be manly, mm-hmm. not pretend to be hip and cool with the kids, but they were their own men and they were, and they were def- um, uh, definite in what they were saying and doing. The other part is I wanted people to see um, another side of Bedford Stuyvesant, which was a more clean, more less gritty side of Bedstuy. I and saw that. To see the side that I grew up on, like I knew, like again, I knew all these players in this in, in this movie, but I did not know the dirty side of Bedstuy. I knew it existed, but I didn't live in it. And um, I'm tired of watching black movies where you see a black movie, and no matter what the story is, they automatically put you in the dirt and the um, in, in, mm-hmm. in the worst part of the neighborhood. It's like, no, we have good parts too. Yeah. And, brownstones were pretty nice I, I was like oh okay you know yeah, and, so, and, that, yeah. and that's where I grew up you know I grew up in that kind of environment and a lot of people did yeah um, that lived yeah. in Bed-Stuy and then they're, 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 and don't get me wrong there is poverty and I showed that as well you know I showed both sides of Bedford-Stuyvesant but I also wanted people to understand that um, Bedford-Stuyvesant is like anything else it's just a place that um, people live and die here this is a place where you can live or you can die depending yeah. on on your circumstances. Absolutely. That's definitely what that movie showed. So if you guys never saw it, I don't know where we are proposing to come when you're starting to want to go to Atlanta, you said, right? And to Miami, right? To if you can show it out there, right? Right. So we wanted um we're trying to find other locations that have drive-in movie theaters and take it on the road and move it move it around. So Miami is um, one of the locations. Uh, um, what what is it? Detroit, Atlanta. not Detroit. Um, um, DMV, the DMV area, Maryland, uh, Virginia, Delaware, that area. Um, we're also looking at uh, Philadelphia, and um, I right now those those are the main three places that we're looking at, and okay. also. Um, I'm sorry, and Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta. I said that for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're looking at those four locations, and then whatever happens after that, if other places want to pick it up, then we'll move around before we actually put it on an actual streaming network. Um, so that's what we're doing with it. Hello. I think I lost you, Jeff. All right, so we're back again with Joe Grant. Sorry for the inconvenience and the disruption. Joe, are you there? I'm here. All right, so continue. We were talking about your dates of, um, you know, where you're going to be bringing it to. So you want to um, follow up with that? Right, so right now we're moving a project to other locations that have uh, driving capabilities. So it's uh, Miami, uh, Atlanta, the DMV area, probably um, Alexander, Virginia, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander, Virginia, and also uh, Philadelphia. Okay. And from there, we'll pick up and we'll see um, whoever else wants to get on board. Okay. All right. So look out, guys. We're coming to those states near you. So I think what I was saying before we got um, inter- interrupted was that, you know, Joe, you, like I said, you are a man that have done so many great things and, you know, you actually 
are at a level of, you know, that um, GQ. So when did you want it? When did you just knew that you wanted to start writing? But that besides when you got into the hospital, but, you know, sometimes it takes the level of certain, like you had so many things you could have wrote about. Why did you think to write about Best Eye? Um, I don't know. It's like I got this thing with Best Eye that's just in me that no matter where I go, I take the style with me. I started, mm. I was writing ever since I was like in elementary school, I've been always a creative um, person. Like um, I used to play with a lot of action figures when I was a kid. So and wait a minute, let me ask you what elementary school, I'm sorry, what elementary school did you go to? I went to PS5. Okay. Which is on um, Hancock and Ralph Avenue. Um, okay. And ever since I was a kid, I would play with a lot of action figures. I'd have all my little action figures and I would create storylines for them. Like Superman. Oh, okay. Okay. So I was always like directing or I would look at like Starsky and Hutch and be like, wow, that's so dope. And I would write my own cop stories and write my own comic books and stuff like that. So I was always writing as a kid. Mm. So that means you got yeah. great, great, um, great. Uh, you was graded very well in school for writing from early. Actually, I wasn't. Oh, I, I okay. wasn't really that great. I wasn't a great student in school because... And this is where it becomes problematic for me that I don't want to have happen to other kids. Um, as an artist, there was no real, um, there was no real place for me and teachers and whatnot didn't know how to deal with me. So um, they really didn't cater to my artistic ability. And I spent a lot of time trying to hide it because at the time people thought that if you were an artist or you were in the arts, that you would either be gay or you'd be a dope fiend or something, or you, or you just be a broke bum. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, if you're gay, then there's nothing wrong with that. But um, I wasn't, and I didn't want to have people look at me as if I was. Right. So I, I hit it because, you know, I'm young and I'm ignorant. Um, so I started doing other, so I started trying to do other things that wasn't really in my lane mm -hmm. and um, caused me not to be the best student because I was always just disruptive um, I was always just not being the best kid I needed to be until I got to like high school. And I realized there's a bunch of other kids that are artists just like me. Right. And they seem to be normal. So um, I kind of um, settled into myself when I was about, when I was graduating from high school. Okay. Did you go to college? I went to, yeah, I went to, um, which is weird because I wanted to go to an HBCU. Mm -hmm. And, um, they talk about how black colleges, black colleges and universities, but there was no room for a, a black artist in the black colleges, the black universities. And really? I wanted to go to Morehouse, but no one had art programs. And Are you kidding I, me? I, they, at, during the time when I graduated in 1988, when I graduated from high school in 88, they didn't have the HBCUs only focused on academics. Um, Howard University had a theater program, but I didn't want to go into theater. Right. That wasn't my thing. I wanted to do art and advertising and marketing and stuff like that. They, and they just didn't have those programs for me. So I wound up going to New York Tech. But I didn't want to go to a regular art school. I didn't want to go to SVA. I didn't want to go to FIT. I spent four years around artists. I just wanted to get away from them for a little while. Right. And um, I went to New York Tech and um, studied marketing because they had a very great marketing program in Baruch. When you left New York Tech, you went to Baruch, and Baruch had one of the best marketing programs in the um, in the city. So yeah, I went to school for marketing. 
after I graduated high school. Very impressive. That's what's up. And you know, these young kids, they need to know this. You know what I'm saying? Like you can pursue certain things in your life if you just stay focused, you know? So I like the fact that you can tell by the levels of how you do things that, you know, you always try to push yourself um, to another level. And tell them what you've got that I'm all interested in. Can't wait for to get soon. But Joe is such an entrepreneur, guys. Oh, my God. So, Joe, tell them about your next capital venture. Oh, my watch line. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I created a, a, a luxury um, accessory brand for men called Grant & Co. Mm-hmm. Grant & Company. And it's actually not for me. It actually pays homage to my dad. Oh, um, that was so nice. Because, yeah, thank you. I mean, my dad lived to be about 90 years old. He died when he was 89. Awesome. Awesome. Kumla. And it was amazing to me that this man who had so much knowledge in his head, he was such a great figure for me. I mean, he did a lot of things wrong, too. He wasn't no sin. You don't live 90 so, years So old. is everybody, <laughs> you know? US. Such is life. Yeah, that's just a part you of life. Mean? Yeah, I'm glad. Mm-hmm. But overall, what I the man that I am is a big testament to who he was and who my mother was. And awesome. um, I, he would always wear watches. He had this thing about he, my father always had a watch. My mother too, Joe. Oh my God. My mother's been deceased for 30 years. You know, I still got her watch hanging over her um, picture in my bedroom. My mother, that's my, listen, that's, that's me too. I always, if you look at any of my young pictures, you uh, always will see a watch on my hand since I was 13 years old. That was the first thing my mother bought for me. My 11th birthday, my mother bought me a little Timex watch. And that's where I get it from. I always have to have a watch when it's kind of gold rings on my fingers, too. <laughs> <laughs> and my, yes, my dad used to wear these watches all the time. And at the time, there were watches that they didn't have these um, battery-operated watches. You had to wind them up mm-hmm. every, every so often. And he would come home from work, and I would take his, well, take his watch off to go take a shower. And, I, and it was my job, my self-appointed job, to wind his watch. Mm-hmm. And um, when he passed, I was like, wow, what can I do? To um, keep his legacy. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, his watches. And I never saw my dad wear a pair of shorts or sneakers. He always was dressed. He was always dressed to the nines. He would go yeah. and go. He would be fixing the car and have on, like, some dope outfit while he's fixing the car. He, mm-hmm. he was a carpenter. He would be wearing some kind of outfit that my mother bought him to go out with. He's there doing carpentry with his um, outfit on. That's that yeah. that was my son's um father. His name was Bizzo. He was a very polished man too. He always had his gaiters on, you know, and he always was clean. He couldn't go outside to the store unless he was clean. This neighborhood still talks about him. It's like, oh, we remember your son, your your um your kids, them baby father. Your son's baby father was always flawed, and and that's something that people don't get. You know what I mean? Because everybody kind of like put Harlem on the map and, you know, nothing, nothing taken away from Harlem, but Brooklyn people, we like to stay jig too. You know what I'm saying? That's of part of, that's, of that's a big, big thing for us in Brooklyn. I know for the, I don't, I know for a fact, that's what kept me alive at a young age because I, I just love fresh clothes. I just love the smell of it. Just like I love the inside of a fresh new car. Like I love, 
I love the smell of brand new clothes. It does something to me. And, and that was the reasons why we were out here hustling when we were young. You know what I mean? For me, it was the love of fashion. I love to dress. I just love, I would change my clothes, Joe, three times a day. I don't think nobody else was doing that. That's why people noticed me. There's like, yo, like this morning she had this on. And, and yet, 12 o'clock, she had on a silk skirt suit. You know what I mean? Right. 5 o'clock, she got on the jeans, Calvin Klein's jeans with this top and this bag. You know, yes. Because I had so much clothes and it gave me gratification to just change my clothes every minute, you know? I'm telling you, it was just something about it. But the, the point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, people need to stay back into that whole element and that culture of always looking decent. We know the young kids them, the young heads, they, 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 you know, they get dressed and everything is about a wire cell and a Gucci and a Prada and a Louis Vuitton and this and that. We, we get all of that. But sometimes, like I was saying the other day, you got people that have all of these nice pieces, but they still don't know how to put it together. Do you follow me? Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. people don't understand the gentleman quarterly or the woman quarterly of just being sophisticated. Because now when I, I be looking at people be like, God, Jackie, you was fly from you was young. Yeah, but I was you, you saw me. You saw my my um, diversity from I was young. I knew how to be that, you know, big bamboo chick wearing. But at 13, 14 years old, I was very classy. I have yet to put those pictures up. Where you see me sitting in a bamboo chair with my leg crossed and I have a open sling back heels on. You know what I'm saying? Like you see me with pictures with my tights on and 100 gold chain and big bamboo earrings. But I've always diversely changed up the way I dressed because of my mother. My mother was a very elegant, you know, very ploshed, you know, aristocrat type of a lady. You know what I'm saying? So I know where you get, you know, where you get it from. And it's just what I'm trying to say is a lot of this new generation need to really come in. They family like you're doing, like I've done, like, you know, part of my podcast is talking about, you know, the culture, like reminiscing about, you know, like what people forget. We, we, we be forgetting too much. We, you know, we have so much good cultures and learning this and instillments from our parents is a big part of it because my mother, you know, you have some West Indian cause I'm Jamaican. So, you know, you have some Jamaican women. They just dress really raga, raga, daga. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My mother was very classy. I mean, she dressed like some damn Indian, some, you know, I don't know what her style was just crazy. And my elder sister too. My older mm-hmm. sister always just very refined and very, so I got a lot of that from them. You know what I mean? Just not yeah. a lot going on, just very elegant and clean. So I get it. And I understand, but you know what I mean? Cause it's just something about that. Just knowing to go outside looking decent, nice slacks, you know, nice pair of shoes, nice shirt, you know? Just carrying on that culture. But everybody prays Harlem. That's what I'm saying. Everybody plays Harlem for the culture of, of you know, styles. And I'm always fighting with people since I was young. Nah, nigga, Brooklyn doesn't. <laughs> uh, Brooklyn, I mean, we, 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 had a certain, we had a certain vibe to being a, a Brooklynite. You That's know? right. And my, mom was, and my mom was like, we go to church and every Sunday, you talk about popping tags, like, she popped tags for us every Sunday. That's right. We had to put on a, if we were putting on a, a, a new suit, you had to have on a new pair of underwear, new yes, just... shirt, new socks. Mm-hmm. Everything had to be new. That's and right. I still, I still deal with that to this day. Like, I, if I buy a suit, I can't wear that suit unless I buy a new shirt, a new pair of socks, new, new underwear, and new shoes. Like That's that instillment. That's that instillment culture. Yeah. 
Yeah, everything has to be mm-hmm. built when I when I step out. Uh, otherwise, I, that that suit will sit in the closet until I get everything, everything new. Even the top coat, my top coat still it has to be new. Like I can't. I got to get a haircut. Yeah, things have to happen before I put this suit on because. I'm disrespecting the suit. Yeah. If I don't. That's that grooming. That's that yeah, grooming. Dad, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like my dad. I, the first time I saw my dad unkept was he was in the hospital. Yeah. And me and my brother went to see him. And I and he was unshaven because he was in the hospital for about a week. Wow. And went up and I, and I looked at him like, wow, I've never seen you unkept. Wow. You know I mean? And um, that's powerful. my brother immediately went shaking. Because, yeah, that's powerful. You know, my brother was like, they saved him. So he went and he shaved him and got him back to where he was. And um, so, and this is like, my father was in his late 70s, early 80s when he first went into the hospital. Mm-hmm. So um, this is all this time I'm looking at this man and all I'm seeing is, and, you know, and he had his problems. He was an alcoholic, but even in his alcoholism, he He's never allowed himself to, to fail. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he oh, and my mother would always say to us, um, never let anybody take away your manship. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like no matter what's going on, you're still a man. That's right. And I respect him for that because um, in the seventies, you're dealing with eleven. I got eleven brothers and sisters. So oh, wow, I'm the youngest, and you're talking about a forty-something-year-old man who is responsible for all of these children, a wife bringing a family to a new country where he knows nothing, grandchildren, and he stayed. Alcoholism was the, was what was his coping mechanism. But at the time in the seventies, when everybody was just like, look, you have one more kid. I'm out of here. Yeah. That's, and that's a, that was for a lot of men's. That was the, um, that was the yeah. vice. That was the vice. So for who that was doing the drinking and for those that took it to the drugs and the dope and whatever have you, but that was the vice for most, um, Caribbean descent men's. I think that was the coping mechanism was drinking. Yeah. But I, but I commend him for staying. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Until the end. Yes. He big time. He raised his children all the way to the end. That was because his grandparents or his parents instilled that in him. So the culture, you know what I'm saying? He was very refined. So I commend to hear that. I commend you for sharing that part because that's the deal. You know what I'm saying? Right. Staying so in I it. Created the, so I created the watch line. So his watches, pens, my father always wrote. He always, up until See, you got that from your father too. You got that from your dad. Huh? I say you got that from your dad too. That's yeah, very I interesting. Did. Yeah, I was getting ready to touch on that subject because I know somebody played music was your father, right? My father, yeah, my father. He he was he loves calypso music and he would play that like over and over. And he loved old movies and I would watch old black and white movies with him. Um, all kinds of black and white movies. Um, like myself, uh, <laughs> the Treasure of Sierra Madre. Um, you name it. Oh my God! And we would just sit there and watch all Johnny Westwell movies, um, Robin Hood, the original Robin Hood, anything black and white. Mm-hmm. We would sit there and watch. He had such a collection, and, you know. Um, so I got a lot of my love for television and movies from him as well. Right. So my father was very influential in my life um, in terms of the person I am today. Um, so I honor him. He wrote a lot. He had a typewriter, and I still have his typewriter um, that he used to type everything on. He, um, so I, I created a pen line and a, a and a journal book to go along with the watches nice. because this was stuff that he did. He played Sudoku up until and crosswords up until the day he passed away. 
up until the week he passed away. But he was he his mind was just that sharp that he could still do these crossword puzzles and finish them. Comprehended, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was really dope. Interesting, very interesting. You know, we share a lot of similarities. It's so crazy as I do these um, podcasts and I'm just talking to people that I've known for years. Just when I take it back and I peel the layer all the way down to, you know, the culture, you know, we share so much. Because I think a lot of people now with reality TV, it shows that so many people go through so much, but they hide it and they keep it until, you know, a pivotal point in their life where they're pushed to you know, talk about it. And it's been like the biggest breakdown on television where people are sharing their intimate secrets and, you know, supposed to be healing their souls. But there's so much that I'm learning as I do these podcasts, you know, to just to say that it's it, to me, it's a healing thing because you conversate with people all day. But when you peel back and you try to really get people to really give the knowledge up and give the experience and give it the culture that we all want to hear, you find that that we share a lot. You know what I'm saying? We share so much serious talk because as I'm listening to you, I'm going, wow, like, you know, it, but a lot of people, it, it'll take somebody to pay somebody to talk about these things. That's why I said, let me just start doing my own podcast because I've been offered all kinds of stuff. I'd rather do my own things at my own time and my own pace. You don't understand? I feel like it's a, it's a more comfortability about just having candid conversations with some of my very close and dear, you know, constituents and friends or whatever have you, because it's more personal, you know what I'm saying? And this is going, it's like this, this podcasts are like Twitter. You don't know where they end up, you know, but you hope, you hope that it ends up to someone that can use this as an encouragement and an inspiration, you know what I mean? So that's why I like doing these podcasts because I just want real people to talk about real things and drop a message, you know, because we're not making nothing up. You know, we're talking and you're talking about real experience that you had that was instilled from your family culture. You understand me? I remember when I had Mama Pill up here and we were talking as she was talking and she was talking about, you know, Dr. Sabi and some of the remedies that he would use. I was like, huh? I said, but that's our culture. I said, that's a West Indian traditional thing right there. I said, we 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 were taught to 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 every week, every West Indian child had to get a purge on a Saturday. All that shit you ate the week, you got your mother be like, come, y'all drink the Thursday now, y'all for wash out your blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's all Doctor Sabi's things are is purifying the blood with real island, um, you know, organic. Things, bush, yeah, just herbs. That's all yeah. it was. But I didn't really pick it up until she was talking. Sea moss, man, we used to drink that every day. You know, you Trinidadian, so you know you had that a lot. You know what I mean? But these are the things that people are going crazy for because the knowledge is really starting to come out about right. what we rightfully own and preserve. You know what I'm saying? It was being sold to us for years, and it's it's rightfully ours. You dig what I'm saying? So that's another level of just, you know, having these conversations and dropping the knowledge because it's, it's real. And then had another 
uh, conversation back in February when I had the, I keep, you know, I had my, um, my, my godson, uh, blue pill, I mean, red pill. And he had a guest, his homeboy, which their partners now 19 kids. We were talking about relationship. We were talking about polished men's. We were talking about all the same things that you were saying about the culture. And I was saying a lot of girls, cause there was questions, you know, how to keep a man and why these young girls are taking care of men. I said, they were outside, but they weren't paying attention to their mothers. You know what I'm saying, Joe? They weren't paying attention. I said, I paid up. Even though I was wild and I did a lot of crazy shit, I was watching my mother because I say, I thank God because I'm a great cook. I thank God I know how to sew. I know how to take a thread and push it through that hole and I could sew up anything in here. I thank God for her teaching me how to, you know, to dress. You know what I mean? I thank God for my mother for so many things that I say, man, if I wasn't paying attention, would I had had that, would I, would I be who I was today? You know what right. I mean? I just paid a little attention, but could you imagine if I had paid full attention? And that's my point. You know what I'm saying? You paid attention because you watched your, your father. You did what I'm saying? I'm going to say your mother too. I'm just getting ready to say, but for a man, the way you instill it about him always being dressed, you know, even your mother popping tags, make sure she always clean. That's my point to the whole conversation. You paid attention. So I, back then when I did the podcast in February, I was sick as a dog. I didn't even know I was so sick when they were here. And this was before COVID. I was so tired, but I just kept saying, you got to pay attention. The whole thing is paying attention to your elders, to your mothers, to your father, period. Right, right, right. So uh, I almost forgot that I am working on another project called, um, I'm executive producing a, um, a radio show called The Real Experience. Nice. And um, it's with my boy, um, Real Robert Nance. Um, he's the host. And um, the whole concept of the show is basically what we're talking about now, returning man to his rightful place, mm. head of the family, leader in the community, and um, example to the youth. And... Um, men wanting to be men and not men wanting to be friends of their children. Because mm. my dad wasn't my friend. Mm. He was no near my friend. He was a man and he was an example. And most of the men on, on, on the block that we grew up, um, they were men. They weren't our friends. They'd say hi to us. They would be friendly to us. But when men, when it was time for the men to do their man stuff, you children get the hell out of here. Exactly. They didn't want to dress like us. They didn't want to talk like us. They wanted nothing to do with us. That's what I'm talking about. It's just crazy that these uh, conversations are parallel to the other conversations that I had. Like, same thing Mama Pill was talking about. She was talking about she grew up in, you know, Harlem or in Brooklyn, where, you know, your elders would be like, you know, what you doing out here, boy? Take your behind inside. You know what I'm saying? Just that type of, you know, upbringing. You know what I mean? Oh, come on in here, boy. Did you eat today? Let me fix you some food. You know what I'm saying? Right. So those little instillments, you know, I mean, like, what time is it? Did your mama know you there? Come on in here, use the phone and call your mother. Let her, you know, you over here by mom, you know, by Miss Miss Jones' house. Things right. like that. And so this is what I'm saying. These things are things that people don't talk about. There's a lot of things that's going on in the world, but you got to have really good instillments of topics that people could, uh, you know, insert in their in their memory banks to remember. Yeah, I remember that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we got to try to clean it up some way so people can go back to the authentic and the organicness of the cultures of what the upbringings were instilled. We out here doing too much. Well, we're not doing enough. So That's well, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. We're doing too much of nothing. I, I want to make black men great again. 
Awesome. I want to make black woman great again, too. So let's get that in there. I'm sorry. Me and my team, we're working on making black men great again. And I want to be a part of bringing back and making black women awesome again, too. Mm -hmm. So sure, you can make America great again, but it starts with making black men great. That's right. Black man is great and everybody's great. That's that's right. Because they're the foundation to everything. Well, actually, the woman is the foundation. I'm not afraid to say that. You know, there's absolutely no way that my father could have been the man that he was, um, even with his shortcomings, um, without my mother. My mother was Absolutely. definitely the of the household. And um, even now, like the females that I have around me, the females that are around me um, are more of a guiding light for me than, it, than the males I have around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are romantic and non-romantic. So... You know, I, I know that I could never be the guy that I am right now if I didn't have that female beacon leading the way for me or helping keeping me in line and saying, hey, man, this is what you need to do. And I and I appreciate that. So I understand that and I respect that, that no matter how great men think that we want to be, if we're not taking care of our black females, then we're doing a, a total disservice to the entire, um, not just our race, but to the world in general. Touche. That's it. Yes, that is, this is basically, I can't round it up any better than that. So Joe, um, just let the audience know where to find you on your handles. And um, thank you for being one of the best parts of Front Row with Jackie Rowe. So you have the floor to let them know how to find you, your emails, and you know, what you have coming up. Okay, so um, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Joe's Eyes. J-O-E-Z-E-Y-E-Z. Um, you can find my book, To Live and Die in bed at the website, To Live and Die in bed um, And you can find The Real Experience Radio Show on The Real Experience X, therealexperience.com, um, and Experiences with an X, uh, Real Experience. And yeah, that's that's me. Or you can just go on my website, josephcgrantjr.com. And everything else is there as well. What would you like to say to yourself, uh, you know, now that you're a grown man, what would you like to have said to yourself in your teenage years? Own yourself. Be, um, I did not, I, I did not take pride in the talent that I had. Mm-hmm. I didn't take ownership of it. I let other people define me mm-hmm. as a teenager. Um, and I and I, I would tell my teenage self, own yourself and do not let anyone define who you are or what you want to be. Thank you. Is there anything you would like to tell the future of our generation now? You know, that means if, if you're into the politics of voting, if, you know, do you believe in the rights of voting or do you just want to just leave them with any kind of pursuing entrepreneur skills if it comes down to art or to the movies, to being a film producer or director? Um, as it relates to politics, politics are important. Um, on your local level because the local people are the people who determine what happens on a national level. So get involved in local politics. Understand who your um, 
your state senator is, understand who your council person is, understand who your assembly people are, and put pressure on them because it's it's their job to take care of you. Mm-hmm. It's not good. It's not they. You tell them they work for you, no matter what they say or how they try to act. They work for you, so vote. I hope you if they, if you don't like the people that's there, get somebody you do like and run that candidate and have them run and vote for them. But voting is important on a local level. Um, as it relates to um, young people who are coming into the business, don't disrespect the business. And I say that to say, no matter what business you get into, do not disrespect the business. There's a protocol that goes along with every business and you need to follow that protocol. If you want to get into the arts, if you want to become a filmmaker, then study filmmaking. Don't just go in there and make trash. Go in there and make something that's going to be epic. Go in there and make something that's going to entertain people and open the doorway for the people behind you. If you want to be a musician, learn your craft. Know the musicians before you. Anything you want to do, learn your craft and do not disrespect. Do not disrespect the um the position. You heard that, guys? That was Joe Grant. Thank you, Joe Grant, for being front row with Jackie Rowe. I'll leave you guys with, like I always say, love yourself first, do something nice for yourself, and be kind to others. Reach out to your elderlies, check on them, see if they need anything. Please be safe, cover up yourself, protect yourself, and six, six, stay six feet from people. And if you don't have to go outside, there's all these different things that you can do to prevent going outside. I recently just started ordering grocery from Prime and it was just as good as going to the corner stores. I mean, going to the grocery store. If you don't have to go out, just stay in because this is a real epidemic we're dealing with here and we really don't know what it is all about. So a lot of hearsay, 5Gs, this one, da, 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 da. But the best measures that I could leave anybody with today and any other day is stay healthy and stay safe. Thank you for being the best part of Front Row with Jackie Rowe. Thank you, Joe Grant. Thank you, Jackie, bro. All right. Thanks. (laughs) Bye. Bye.